0: through 2 Corinthians. Let me just jump right into this, and hopefully you'll enjoy it and be blessed by it. I sent out notes. I have notes on the back table. The sermons are on iTunes. The sermons are on our website. The sermons are on our Facebook page. I, I pray that searching and studying the Word of God is a priority to you because at the end of the day, Listen, at the end of the day, it's not the song, the shout, the dance. At the end of the day, it's not even the gifts. At the end of the day, it's not our talents, our abilities. Ultimately, it's the Word that transforms us. Really. It, it's really the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.1. 1, 1. Also, Romans 10 tells us that now faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? Hearing by the Word of God. And how can they hear if there is a preacher, a teacher, a witness? And how can he preach? How can she teach? How can she witness? How can he witness if he's not sent by God? So there's, there's a process There is a progress, but it all starts with the Word of God. This this is where it begins. This is where it begins, right here. And I pray that you all are students of the Word of God, more so than anything else, because nothing else is going to last. When heaven and earth will pass away, My word, he says, will not pass away. Not one jot or tittle, that is not one dotting of the I, not one crossing of the T will change the word of God before heaven and earth passes away. This is the only thing that's going to last. Maybe not necessarily this particular book, not this holy Bible. This is the uh, NAS giant print reference Bible. This is Marie's Bible. Okay, Marie's Bible may not last uh, forever. Let me let me get another Bible here. Wow, this is Mr. Otis's Bible. That's my father-in-law, great man. This this Bible, this Bible here, it may not last forever. Let me just get another Bible here. Oh well, look at this. This is Pastor Meek's Bible. All right. I got everybody's Bible up here but mine. Okay, but it's all good. You know what? These Bibles, these Bibles themselves may not last forever. Not Pastor Meeks. Not Mr. Otis's. Not Marie's. But I'll tell you what will last forever. The words that are in them. The words that are in them are eternal. The words that are in them never become obsolete. The words that are in them are relevant even if they're written 6,000 years ago. In Sunday school, we're studying Genesis. In church, we're studying 2 Corinthians. So we're looking at two different dispensations. Genesis, perhaps written, I don't know, 8,000 years ago by some archaeologists, 2 Corinthians, written maybe uh, a couple thousand years ago, first century. But the fact is, is that whether we're studying Genesis 24 or 2 Corinthians 1, they're all relevant in May of 2016. Isn't that amazing? What other book can boast such relevancy such accuracy and you know what that would be okay if that were all there was to it but that's not all there is to it this book isn't just relevant or pertinent or contemporary or non obsolete this word this book literally changes lives it changes lives It transforms us. The Greek word there for transform is metamorphi in the Greek, from which we get our English word metamorphosis. And if you will, put up on the uh, screen, uh, Andy. Good to see Andy this this week. Glad that uh, the Akron General Hospital didn't claim her this Sunday. if you'll put up Romans 12.1, I just wanted you to look at Romans 12.1 and 2 for just a hot second. A little bit off the topic, but I think very pertinent, very relevant to what we're talking about. Here's what Paul was saying to the church at, uh, at Rome. Therefore, I urge you, brother, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. But that's a mouthful right there, is it not? A living and holy sacrifice, uh, acceptable acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service and worship. And you'll just give it to me in the King James Version, if you will, too, Andy, please. And I want to look at verse 2 in the KJV. Verse 2 in the KJV, I love this. I love that acceptable, perfect will of God. That's a whole topic, very good stuff. But look at verse 2 in the King James Version. It says, and be not conformed to this world. That means don't buy into what the world is doing and saying. That also means just because somebody else is doing it, doesn't mean that we have to or should do it. You know what your mother taught taught you? Just because Johnny, if Johnny jumps off the cliff, you go jump off the cliff. We come and say, why did you, why did you, uh, why did you cheat on your test? Well, Billy cheated. Some of my mothers say, if Billy jumps off the cliff, you go jump off the cliff. You big dummy after she smacks me around a few times or has me go outside and get my own switch <laughs> All right, you know we're out in the backyard cutting down a switch trying to find a little, little skinniest wimpiest one we could find we bring it back in and say boy that ain't no switch <laughs> we don't want her to go get one she'll bring a branch in. So so it says, be but be transformed. There's that word there. There's that metamorphosis that we've talked about for time and time again, to be the dead horse. But that word is just so, well, transformative. This word is amazing. This word changes us. So what it suggests here in this just this little short passage is that we're not only to not be like the world, that's just part A of being converted. We're not only to not be like the world, ladies and gentlemen, we are also to be changed into Christ-likeness. We're supposed to really, literally, no no exaggeration here, no hyperbole, we're supposed to be like Jesus. That's who we're supposed to be like. That's our goal. That's where we're being transformed to. We're being transformed to Christ-likeness. If you're not becoming like Jesus, then... Check your salvation, number one. And number two, you might need to really get on your face and on your knees and get back to a place of spiritual consecration and renewal because you need a personal revival because this is the goal, being transformed. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that we are not—put it up on the screen if you will, please, Andy. We're going to come back to this for a hot second. But 2 Corinthians 5.17, which is awesome, says— in the King James version, which says, "We become a new creature," and I actually, in this particular case, I like some of the newer translations because it says, "We become a new creation," which suggests that we're, we remain the same creature. We're still flesh and blood, but God re God recreates us. I'm messing up your arrangement, Sister Maria. I'm sorry. God changes, not this physical body but he recreates us from the inside out so he makes us listen he makes us think differently he makes us think differently he makes us feel differently he changes our emotions so we're not so easily rattled and shaken and upset by everything because we have a peace a peace that passes understanding. We have a peace, which I define Wednesday night in Bible study. It's a confidence. It's, a, it's, a, it's an assurance. It sort of gives us a little swag. We have a little swagger, like not an arrogant, puffy, you know, I got this, I'm all that kind of swagger. It gives us a swagger that says, God got this. <laughs> God is going to have my back. God is going to see me through as Jehovah Jireh means God will see to it that I'm taken care of, that I'm provided for. So, so, so going back. So this talks about a record. So going back, Andy, if you will, to Romans twelve two, one more time, real quick. I just want to show you this, and then I'll move on. This is just such a beautiful thing. When you look at Romans twelve two, he uses the word transformed, but he also says by the renewing of your mind, and that's the only last point I want to make. Here's how it happens. Our minds are renewed. This is how we're changed. Right here. Right here. Ingesting this word. Every day, and then when we come together on Sundays and Wednesdays, we are instructed and we're confirmed. Confirmed of what we're reading or corrected of what we've been reading. But Sundays and Wednesdays serve as a time of Instruction, correction, sometimes reproof, but all the time, inspiration. We're inspired. We're impressed to do better, to keep on keeping on, to stay the course, to not give up. Amen? Beautiful little passage. So here in closing, almost closing, well, you know, I'm getting to closing. (laughs) 2 Corinthians 1, 8 says, for we do not, I love this New American Standard, 2 Corinthians 1, 8, for we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively, oh, I love this, beyond our strength. How, How many, let me just say this, how many of you know that when it seems like you are just out of your element and you're just beyond your ability to fix the situation, or to set something right, or to even get healthy if you're suffering physically. How many of you know that when we reach our extremity, that then becomes God's opportunity? How many of you know that sometimes the reason our blessing, the reason our deliverance, the reason our victory sometimes is delayed or hindered is because we haven't let go yet so that God can move in and do his thing. Sometimes our blessing is postponed because we're still trying to work it out. Does Jacob come to mind with all of his conniving and maneuvering and finagling to try to get things done? And, and God said, when you're done here, um, I can help you out here, Bro. But I, I can't work when you're working because everything I'm doing, you're undoing. Everything I'm working on, you're reversing. You see that? Jacob is trying to do all this scheming when Esau was coming to get him with 400 vigilantes. And and Esau is saying, okay, well, I mean, Jacob is saying, well, um, um, you guys go this way and uh, you guys go that way. So if Esau comes and attacks, he, he'll kill half of us, but half of us will get away. I mean, he's just working it out, that strategizing, got a strategic plan in place. But it wasn't until he came to the end of himself and realized that, you know what? This ain't going to work, and that ain't going to work. The Bible says that he went across the brook J-box, which in the Hebrew means emptied. It means nothingness. It means depleted. It wasn't until he completely emptied himself of all of his personal resources and abilities and said, you know what? I don't have this. Lord, I need you to do this. Even then, the Bible says he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. Even then, he tried not to let go and let God. Even then, he tried to take matters into his own hands. Even then, he tried to do it himself. God said, when you're ready to let go, I'll take over. And finally, he let go. And God fixed the situation, and not one casualty took place that day. Not one. How many of you know that when God does stuff, there are no half measures? God don't half do stuff? He don't just, like, fix it a little bit. Well, my rent was $600, and, you know, God gave me three fifty. <laughs> I mean, if God's going to take care of your rent, He's giving you like a thousand. Your rent is six hundred. God's giving you exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or think, according to the power that worketh in you, according to Ephesians three twenty. Right? God always goes over, pressed down, shaken together, running over. David said, "My cup" in Psalms twenty three, runneth over. God always does things excessively more abundantly, exceedingly, growingly, spectacularly, beyond our wildest dream is how God works. God never just ekes it out. He always is the God of more than enough. And that doesn't mean that there is sometimes there may be a blessing where you need $600 and God gives you $600. I'm not saying that those aren't always, that, that it's always the case that you're going to get $6,000, But God always meets our needs as he sees fit. And we were talking in Sunday school this morning. We don't always know the mind of God. We don't know how he always will work. Our job is not to try to figure it out, ladies and gentlemen. Stay with me. It's not to try to figure it out. It's to trust him and know that he knows more than we know. To know that his ways are above our ways as the heavens are above the earth. And his thoughts are above our thoughts, Scripture says, as the heavens are above the earth. And that God's ways, the Bible says, are past figuring out. We won't know always, perhaps most of the time, the mind of God. But God always takes care of us. He doesn't always give us all of our wants, but he sure takes care of our needs. And he's always right on time. He may not always be early, according to our time frame, but he's never late, according to his time frame. <laughs> Amen? That, and I think God just wants us to, I think he just wants us to trust him like that and not try to nail everything down. That's why I have a, a problem with a lot of the faith and health and wealth teachers and the faith Healing teachers and the teachers that advocate this I can call God to do what I want Him to do on demand. That's almost never the case. God is always trying our last nerve of patience. It's like, Lord, like, where are you? I mean, have have any, have any, am I the only one that experienced this? Delayed reaction. (laughs) Maybe it's just me, you know. Maybe you got to be from Akron. Well, some of y'all are from Akron. Maybe you just have to be born on Chestnut Street to know that God doesn't just always boom. I can call him like a genie in a bottle. Actually, my experience is just the opposite. Usually it seems like when I'm in a distress or in a place of suffering like Paul was, it seems like I'm wondering, did God overlook me? You know what I'm saying? And I think that's when God really moves on our hearts and says, no, What what we need to realize is that God is not our personal genie in a bottle. He's not our valet. He don't jump when we say jump. Our attitude needs to be, Lord, this is tough here. I really could use you right now. But if you're not going to come right now, Lord, just, just see me through this. Help me. Calm me down. Give me patience. Give me grace. Give me mercy. Because I, I think I need you right now. I really do. But it doesn't always happen that way. And, so, and pa- Paul said to say, this is so beautiful. Watch this. This is just, just right Write what I'm talking about. He says, indeed, in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 1, he says, Indeed, we have the sentence of death within ourselves so that we, we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and he will deliver us. He, I'm in verse 10 of, verse, of 2 Corinthians 1. This is so good, ladies and gentlemen. Please stay with me. Who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. Are you with me? Verse 11, finally, this is where I'm going to close. You also joining and helping us through your prayers so so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed upon us through the prayers of many. Wow. Let me just break that down right quick. Here's what Paul is saying. He said, you know what? I thought I was about to leave here. I thought I was about to die. We don't know. I put down here. Up put down here, Paul could have been afflicted with a serious illness, perhaps uh, loosely connected with his thorn in the flesh issue in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10. Paul could have been in prison in Ephesus, and he might have been alluding to the fighting of wild beasts there in Ephesus. He talks about that in 1 Corinthians 15. It's in your notes, 1 Corinthians 15, 23. Paul could have been talking about the fact that uh, there was a riot taking place, by the Ephesian silversmiths, as mentioned over in Acts nineteen, we don't know was it if it was his thorn in the flesh. We don't know if the dude was about to die based on some internal illness or sickness. We don't know if there was riots or conflicts going on, but he thought he was at death's door. Anybody ever felt like you were near death's door? Anybody? Okay. Some of us may have been at death's door and didn't know it. (laughs) I I, I can see God telling us when we get to heaven, dude, you just don't know how close you were back in 66. I had your back. You thought you were cruising. I kept that car from running that red light on Douglas Street when you were going 40 miles an hour. And God spared us. We don't know how many times we've been spared death and we didn't even know it. Paul thinks he knew he was near death's door. He said we had the sentence of death working within us. But I wrote down in my notes, and I want to share with you, that God works out his purposes. Listen to this. God works out his purposes, sometimes in trials. We pray, Lord, let your will be done. That means that I'm taking a hands-off approach because I can't fix my messes. I wrote down that sometimes God works, increases our faith through difficulties. He brings difficulties sometimes to strengthen our prayer lives. Amen? Sometimes some of us don't even pray till we get in trouble. God say, man, I, I was wondering where you were. God say, I ain't heard from you in a minute. What's up? Oh, yeah, Lord, I need you. Oh, okay, that's why you calling. (laughs) We start fasting, start going on three-day journeys, start praying around the clock, start calling for, hey, I need y'all to pray for me. It's it's going down right now. (laughs) Calling our friends, calling our neighbors, calling the elders of the church, the mothers of the church. (laughs) I'm being facetious, but I'm telling the truth, am I not? When things are like serious, when you think your life is on the line, you even call a couple enemies. Hey, bro, you know, we need to straighten things up because I need you to pray right now. <laughs> I know you were mad last week, but hey, we can, we can get this together. <laughs> Sometimes the Lord brings difficulties to draw us closer to other believers. It's amazing. You could be going through church and you ain't speaking to somebody. You let some catastrophe hit you. You let some sort of a situation come up where you're in in dire straits. It's amazing how things can seem so petty when your life is on the line, or you or you're in a lot of trouble, or you need money, or you need help, or you need resolution in a family matter. Your kids acting up, your spouse acting up, your neighbors are acting up. We have a friend of ours that doesn't live too far from us uh, that was their neighbors were like just. Every day, running up, and the, the noise was just unbearable. It was just amazing. The conflict of, a, of an unruly neighbor, loud music, wild parties, bamming on the wall, fighting, the police always coming. That can really mess with you. Sometimes the Lord brings difficulties in our lives just to use to glorify him. To help us just come to a point where we give him the glory by grace and mercy and deliverance. Don't ever think that things happen for no reason. Don't think that this came out of the clear blue. Don't ever think a situation, I don't care how bad or how stressful it is, don't ever think it was for naught. I taught a few weeks ago, even if God uses a situation to punish us, he's still in control. He still measures the difficulty. He measures the suffering. It's not, it's not a la carte. It's not uh, un, you know, indiscriminate. God does no more than we can bear. If you will, put, just put up a uh, uh, Andy, King James Version, 1 Corinthians 10 13. I think everybody needs to see this. Most of you have probably seen it before and you know it, but this is just a great verse. 1 Corinthians 10 13. God never puts on us more than we can handle. It says, There hath no temptation taken you. And a temptation there can be translated trial. It can be translated trouble. None. Remember Job and Job 1 and 2? That was not just happenstance, what happened to Job. God had prepared Job. He was ready. Job was a stalwart. He was ready to go. He didn't like it. Listen, then we're going to like it. Who likes trials? Anybody likes trials? Anybody like tests? Anybody like tribulation? Anybody like suffering? Anybody like persecution? Okay. (laughs) We don't just dial up God and say, you know, Lord, I could use a little distress in my life right now because I'm feeling a little sass, fat and sassy here. Ain't nothing happening in a few months. I'm just, I need something to, you know, shake me up a little bit. Anybody ever pray that prayer? Don't pray that prayer. <laughs> Jesus says, suffice it for today are the troubles they're in. We're, we're going to get our fair share. You ain't got to be dialing up no troubles. God got that. Be praying for more grace and mercy. If things are going good, let's start getting on guard because the other shoe <laughs> is about to drop. It says, there are no temptation taking you, such as is common to man. But I love this. I love this. It's one of the things that we use a lot here. But God. Where is Thea when I need her? But God. These but gods are all sprinkled through Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. I like that conjunction, that that juxtaposition of this conjunction, but, and this proper pronoun, God. You you, you put those two together and you have an incredible dual threat. But God, but is there to say, but but the but means, but by the way is a conjunction like and, but means anything that has been said or done prior to the but, God got it. (laughs) So we say, but God, that means it don't matter what I've said up until now, the sky is falling. But God. The doctor gave me six weeks. But God, I'm losing my job. I got a pink slip. But God, my kids are absolutely crazy. But God, my husband is, I'm going to shoot him or I'm going to run him away. But God. God is always able to be the differentiator. God is the neutralizer. God changes the narrative before the but. So Paul says, Paul says, yes, there's going to be temptations and trials and tests. Yes, there's going to be suffering and loss and distress. He says, but God is faithful and will not let you be a tempted will not let you be tried, will not let you suffer, will not let you be persecuted, will not let you be downtrodden above that you are able. But every time he brings something to, it could be where we get the little saying, if God brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. Because with every temptation, he'll make a way of escape. God never sets us up to fail. God is not sadistic. God is not a a malevolent, malevolent dictator. God is good all the time. Even in stress, even in trials, even in suffering, God is still good. Amen? And so I close with this thought. I could just keep going because there's just so much more to be said about, but I won't. I could just say more about how God delivers us out of stress and persecution, but I won't today. But I will say this. Jeremiah wrote this in Lamentations 3. King James Version, please, because you just got to see this language. Jeremiah, everybody, when you get home, read this for the rest of the week. Ray? Read this even at school. Housewives, read this at home, Lamentations 321. People that are working a job, read this while you're at work, Rod. When you're working out, Tiff, read this while you're working out. This is good stuff. Dees, when you're flying back to Cali, my favorite state, read Lamentations 321. Here's what it says. This I recall to my mind. This is what I love about this. I'm going to close with this thought, and then we're going to do our Monday morning moment. Let's, here's here's what I think is important about everything I'm going to say. You've already seen this, perhaps a thousand times. Here's what I want to emphasize, in case I haven't emphasized it before. Re and I were talking about this the other day. Jeremiah said, "This I recall." That's the key. That's the key. Isn't that exciting? What he's saying is, look, it's, I'm going through this. I'm having these issues. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet because, boy, the dude. Oh, man, I can just tell you some horror stories about what happened to Jeremiah. You remember when he was down in the pit and they had to bring him up with the rags tied together? That pit he was in, that wasn't just sewage. Yep, wherever your mind went, that's where he was at. Up to his neck in it, and it was that great guy. The, uh, he, he, um, what was his name? Sister Marie Ellie. He was had, had an uh, Eber. Can't think of his name offhand, but his name was. It meant it meant faithful servant, and he went to the king to get permission to pull Jeremiah up out of this muck and mire. And he was an African. And it was an incredible story. I said all that to say, when Je- who knows when Jeremiah wrote these lamentations? These lamentations means that he was crying. No doubt very emotional because he was known as the weeping prophet. Crying, A, because Israel would not repent. And that would have been enough right there. But perhaps crying also because of the suffering and persecution he was put through as a prophet of God. All right. The Bible says, I recall to my mind, I thought about Scripture. I thought about your word. And I recalled it to my mind. You can't recall something that ain't there. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman who needed not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You, You have to study. You have to know the word. You have to spend time in the word. When someone like me is teaching, you have to listen and I think you should actively listen by taking notes or or getting the recording of the message or listening to it multiple times because you know sometimes I talk fast and go fast because I'm trying to cram a lot because I'm always just so excited about the word, even more excited than than the the than playing is is delivering the word because I think this is life, this is life and death, not just physical life, but eternal life. And that. so this is just so important. So there's so much that I want to give you, and I feel like there's so much to say in so little time. So then you go home and you add to it. You, you develop it. You unpack it. You appropriate it. So he says, I recall to my mind great words, and therefore I have hope. Whatever you're going through, Recall the words. You read and study the Scriptures so you can recall what God has already, as Sister Cynthia says, what He's already done for me, what He's doing for me, and what He's going to do in the future. Isn't that good? If I'm constantly thinking about how good God is to me, if I'm thinking about how He delivered me last time, and how I got over before, and how I made it through when I saw no way out, I'm going to be more encouraged and more inspired that I'm going to make it this time. If God did it last week, he'll do it this week. If God did it last month, he'll do it this month. If he blessed me to pay this, he'll bless me to pay that. If he healed me from a cold, he'll heal me from the flu. God is able to do anything but fail. So he says, this I recall to my mind, and therefore I have hope. Is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Who knows that Paul might not have been thinking about this passage when he wrote this letter, this second letter to the church at Corinth. And Jeremiah concludes by saying, They are new every morning. Greatest life, faithfulness. Everything you do, God, is fresh. People talk about, I need to get a fresh word from the Lord people are always trying to give extra biblical interpretations and prophecies and iterations and you know what I don't need nothing fresh that's an insult to god to say oh i, I got a fresh word from the lord don't bother reading deuteronomy i'm going to tell you something right now no i'm sorry excuse me i'll stick with deuteronomy <laughs> I, I'll, stick, I'll I'll stick I'll stick with what's tried and proven I'll stick to what's tried and true. I, I'm sorry, excuse me, but I'll stick to what has worked for the last 6,000 years. When new thoughts and new ideas and new philosophies and new denominations and new religions and, and, and new I- philosophies came around, I will, I'll stick with this. This seems to work every time it's tried. So I'll stick with the word. No doubt Jeremiah felt the same thing as he said, I'm recalling to my mind that God is faithful and that his mercies are new every morning and that his faithfulness is great. Oh, boy, that's just so good. In closing, the Monday morning moment is this. Write this down, if you will. Sometimes God delivers us from our trials. Other times God delivers us in our trials. Amen? Sometimes God delivers us from our trials. Sometimes he delivers us in our trials. You know, it's another thing, it's another problem I have with the health and wealth philosophy of, of this day. This easy believism, this seeker-sensitive stuff, you know. And I don't and I mean to just knock Joel Osteen. There's a, a thousand guys that are advocating this Tony Robbins New Fangled, new world new age christian philosophy it ain't always easy it's not always going to be a simple thing you know what i can't tell you how many saints that i've prayed for as a pastor in the last 20 years and that i've loved including my own mother including pastor meek that have gone on to be with the lord was my prayer a failure? Am I a failure because every saint of the church that I pray for isn't delivered? Some are. Some of us are still here, including myself. You know, I pray, Lord, you know, spare my life. Spare me for now as, as if it's your will. God doesn't always deliver us by saying, you know what? I'm going to fix you up. I'm going to heal you immediately of the cancer of the heart disease, of the diabetes, of the arthritis, whatever it is, sometimes God's answer is no. I have a better plan. Sometimes God just says, I just want you to come home and be with me. That's not a lack of faith. I have friends that think that's an absolute failure. I have friends that say your faith wasn't great enough. I have friends that say you failed in your prayer. Your prayer wasn't specific enough. Your prayer didn't carry enough faith. Give me a break. Who knows if their prayer has enough faith with it? Just because you disagree. You know, I, I tell this story. I've told you this before. It reminds me of the guy I used to work with, uh, you know, back with a company called BetSintech, Christian beautiful brother. His name was Jim Pikunka. Jim, he said, yeah, i would just believe in the Lord that's going to heal me of this flu I got. And, you know, he's walking around. I'm sorry to be gross. Snot running down his nose. You know, he's all this. I mean, he just looks like death warmed over. And he said, I was just walking around saying, I claim my healing. I claim my healing. That's gross. That's stupidity. As Fred Price said, there's a fine line between faith and foolishness. You know, you, 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 you can't just presume on God's grace and you do stuff. because Just because you call something into existence doesn't mean God is ready. Your timing, our timing, is not God's timing necessarily. So you know what? In the meantime, you blow your nose and you take some aspirin and you drink some drawing juice and take some vitamin C or something. You don't just go around. You know, that's ridiculous. Jesus said when you're fasting, don't go around with your face unwashed and your teeth unbrushed and your hair uncombed. So that people can say, oh, wow, look at Brother Will. He looks so holy. Dude been fasting. Look, you know, He looks terrible. <laughs> no, no. Jesus said, you wash your face, comb your hair, brush your teeth, get dressed, and look like a normal person. He says, the things that you do secretly, I will reward you openly. And to presume upon God's grace, grace is foolishness. Go to the doctor. God can use doctors just like he can do it. Through fiat miracles, yes, he can do one on one, but he can also work through people. James five says, "If you're sick of sick among you, go to the elders of the church, and we'll lay hands on you and anoint you with oil." And the Bible says, "In the prayer of the faith, will will heal the sick, and if there be any sins, they'll be forgiven." But that's not always the case. That's qualified in other passages. Some people die. Some saints died that are sick. The Bible is, is sprinkled with examples. Lazarus died. And when Jesus raised him from the dead after being in the grave four days, guess what? Do died again. <laughs> Not that day, but he died. Anybody seen Lazarus around lately? He died. The saints that got up on resurrection day with Jesus, they died. It is appointed unto a man once to die. And then the judgment. There's no sin in dying if that's the way the Lord wants to take us through. So I didn't invent that theory. The three Hebrew boys didn't invent it, but they sure nailed it. When they said in Daniel 3, if you'll put it up there, New American Standard, it's a great verse. As I sit down, I'm going to move towards my seat so you all believe me. Shadrach, Meshach, and a bad Negro replied, to the king, I know old joke. <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. I love this. Every church should platter this. This should be pasted over their doorways, along with the other verses that I've given over the years that I thought should be plattered over the, uh, posted over the doorways. But this is just a classic. He says, we don't need to be careful to give you an answer in this matter. I love this. If it be so, and that's the qualifier. I love that. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from this matter. And what he's saying here is very clearly. He say, look, God doesn't heal everybody that's sick that's a believer. God doesn't deliver every missionary from being martyred. God doesn't deliver every person that's been unemployed from maybe having to spend some time in a shelter. There's no dishonor in that. There's necessarily not even a lack of faith in that. There may not even have been a sin committed for that to happen to you. In Job's case, the Bible says there were no sins that were committed. Job was a perfect man, upright, who loved God and eschewed evil, the Bible says. Didn't say that Job, what happened to Job was because he sinned. His friends tried to say, dude, you sinned. Nothing happens to this, like to normal people that God is walking with. You got a real, real problem here. You need to repent. Be careful of who your friends are. Because sometimes people give you bad information. They give you misinformation. Sometimes they give you disinformation to try to trick you up and and get you in in a bad spot. But the three Hebrew boys were very resolute. They said, If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And either way, I love this. He's going to deliver us from out of your hands. Either we're going to be incinerated to a crispy critter and just be ashes, or he's going to miraculously deliver us out of these flames. And here's, here's the key. Listen. I love the fact that these guys did not try to dictate the terms of engagement. That's where we get into a problem. God do it this way. I need a new car and it needs to be a Cadillac Escalade with four-wheel drive. We we think that and I've heard I heard guys on TV teach this. If you're not exactly specific, then that constitutes a lack of faith. That's baloney. Please believe me, believe me, God is not beholden to us. We're not calling the shots here. I wish I could get on TV just one, just once. National, just one just give me one hour ABC prime time. Why I would be packing it in. <laughs> That's probably why it'll never happen. So he says here, in conclusion, he says here. But if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, the furnace or blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hands, O okay. King. But here's the key. But even if he does not, it's not great. Even if he does not, even if he does not, <laughs> the possibilities that God's answer could be no. Why do we think that just because we pray with faith, believing, and there's no known sin, unconfessed sin in our lives, that the answer is going to always be affirmative? We can't put that on God. If that were the case, then no believer should ever die, should ever be broke, should ever have conflict, should ever have heartache, should ever have issues. Every believer should have a perfect life and never die, and the rapture comes and takes them away to be with the Lord. Now, how, how practical is that? I mean, the guy that wrote this is dead. Paul is dead. Peter is dead. Right? Death is not the end of the story for us. The psalmist said, Blessed in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. We look at death as the ultimate failure. God sometimes delivers us out of the storm. Sometimes he delivers us through the storm. In this particular case, in this case, for the three Hebrew boys, God did in fact take the heat out of the flame and deliver them out of the flame. But I love their attitude. These dudes were prepared to die. They knew when you eat a furnace, seven times hotter than it was, and the guys that actually brought them to the furnace felt back as dead. This furnace was really hot. They were prepared to die because they said, even if he does not, we're aware that God may choose to take us to home right now, right here. We're still not going to worship your gods with a little g we're still not going to bow down. What an amazing testimony. That should be a source of encouragement for Christians until the end of the world. That God got our back, whether we go through the storm or whether he delivers us over the storm. God will get us through it. God will get us through it. What a great, what a great passage. Just come out, elders. Let's just pray for a second. Lord, before the elders come and close our service with prayer for the saints, for those that want it, I just ask that you, not my words per se, but that your words, your words, Lord, your thoughts, your ideas, your principles will take root in our heart that it will change us. May these words this morning challenge us to become more like you. May these words stir us up, get us out of our seats of complacency and indifference, and help us to be more on fire for you. May we be inspired to take our walk with you to the next level, deeper, Higher, stronger, hotter, that we won't settle for where we are. Oh, Lord, that we could get to the point of like these three Hebrew boys, where we say, Lord, whatever you do, we're with it. Whatever you do, we're okay with it. If you're taking us home, open your arms, because here we come. If you're leaving us here, we're gonna praise you till the day we die. Paul is saying the same thing in 1 Corinthians 1. We thought we were almost about to receive the sentence of death. But you delivered us. You, the one who was able to raise the dead, you delivered us.